Amen. The children of Israel had just came out of centuries of slavery in Egypt. But they thought that their lives would end when uh, they turned around and looked in the distance and they saw the Egyptians hard on their trail. And they saw Pharaoh's army coming full speed ahead towards them. Not only that, they had the Red Sea in front of them and so they were trapped. They were, there was no escape. But again, God comes to their aid with the pillar of cloud and it moved from the front of them round to the back of them and it stood between them and the Egyptians so the Egyptians couldn't pass through and touch them. It was a cloud of darkness to the Egyptians but it was light to the Israelites. But they were still trapped by the Red Sea. Then God instructed Moses to stretch out his rod over the sea and the wind blew all that night. And made a way through the sea. Then he gave the orders to advance across the seabed on dry ground. But when they were still walking in the seabed. The water foaming on each side of them. A great wall of water. A giant wall of water. On each side of them God allowed the Egyptians. Indeed he provoked the Egyptians to go after them. Even though they could see this tremendous miracle of the power of God, this tremendous demonstration of God's power, they went full speed ahead after, after the Israelites to destroy them. But they found that God was fighting for them. Because whenever they got to the very midst of the sea, the wheels came off their chariots. They couldn't move. And then God said to Moses, stretch forth the rod over the sea, that the waters would come again upon the Egyptians. And that is exactly what happened. And they were all destroyed. They could see their dead bodies washed up on the shore around them. What a tremendous victory. What a tremendous victory they had that day. Whenever they saw their enemy destroyed in one in one moment, what a victory. What an absolute exciting escape. What a relief to them. Just a few hours before, they thought all was lost. They complained against Moses for bringing them out of Egypt into the desert to die at the hands of the Egyptians. And now that threat was gone. Although Moses did not know how at the time, he proclaimed in faith the words there back in chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, and says, Moses said unto the people, Fear not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. He didn't know what was going to happen. But he could believe in God. He believed in the Lord. God glorified himself in the victory of these Egyptians. It says there in the verse 17 and 18 of that chapter 14. And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they shall follow them. And I will get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts upon his chariots and upon his horsemen and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord whom uh, when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh and upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. God was going to be honored by this. 
the Egyptians back in Egypt were going to realize what a powerful God the Israelites had. God gave a great victory. And how the Israelites could sing to the glory of God. What a victory. Has, has there ever, ever happened anything like this before? My, how they could rejoice with this deliverance. Now after this, they probably thought pretty highly of themselves. Look what God has done for us. My, the, the, the Lord is able to do anything for us. And they thought that everything would just go humpy deer the whole way to Canaan. But you know, they had no doubts in their minds. It says there that they feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. How could they not? How could they not with this demonstration of the power of God? What a spectacular demonstration of that power. How could they doubt God after this? However, how little did their faith endure. Soon after this great victory, just three days, just three days after, they had walked through the wilderness and they found water, but it was bitter. This was not expected. This in their minds was not how it should be. They believed that God would take care of every detail of their lives just as they imagined how it would be. But as we say, that's life. It doesn't always turn out the way we expect. Sometimes it can be very different from what we had planned. But there are lessons for us in this event of the Israelites that I hope we can learn from. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11, <clears throat> Now all these things happened unto them as in samples that they were written for our admonition, upon whom the end of the world are come. Therefore, there's a lesson in this for you and a lesson in this for me. God wants to teach us something by this story. Three days before they sang the victory song, over the Egyptians. But they were not prepared to face this crisis. This was another day. Obeying the gospel is a great victory. But as John 16.33 says. These things have I spoken unto you. That, are, that, are, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. There are many examples of this in the Bible. In Acts 14, verses 21 and 22, Paul and Barnabas returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must go through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Pharaoh was cast into the sea. But now the only water that the Israelites had was bitter. They were tempted soon after the victory. And this is the way Satan many times works. As soon as we experience victory, he comes to us when we least expect it. And he tempts us. 
He even tried this with the Son of God. In Matthew 4, Jesus there was tempted after his baptism. After hearing the powerful voice of his Father, praising him and seeing the Spirit of God descend upon him like a dove. But alas, he was left this divine communion to enter the desert of tribulation, the desert of temptation. And he'd been tempted and tried by the most evil and subtle being that exists, the devil himself. There are many so-called Christians who are like the seeds sown among stone, the stones and the thorns. As Matthew says there in chapter 13, they hear the word with joy and receive it. Yet they have no root and only endure for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by they are offended. Sad to say there's many, even in the free church like that today, they're offended. They have left off the worship of God. You might call them backslayers. But I would be careful with the word backslayer. These people were not saved. It says in the care of the world, the, as, as, I'm, I'm saying that the, even the day-to-day -day thing, just the curf, the care that the people have and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and they become unfruitful. It seems they receive the message of the gospel with joy. It looks like they've come out of their sin and victory. Imagining all will be well. And unfortunately, there are many preachers today who promise them that. They will, they will experience wealth and health and a life of ease and comfort. Everything will be hunky-dory. Yet they find a hostile world and difficult problems. Suffering and even persecution. They are tempted by worldly pleasures and overwhelmed by the cares of life. Many have no time for anything but their own things their own work, their pleasure. And bit by bit they leave the worship of God and fly to the world. And we find that their faith was nothing. It was just a flash in the pan. They couldn't stick the pressure. Oh friend, do not follow the example of Israel. What did they, they do? Did they pray? Did they look for rivers? Did they dig wells? No, they just murmured. They murmured against Moses and against God. Tells us over there in chapter 14, verses 11 and 12, it says, And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word? That we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians. For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Oh yes, they murmured again and again and again. They murmured against Moses and against God. They thought that they had every reason to complain. However, one day they would complain too much and provoke God. To say in Numbers 14 verse 27. How long shall I bear this evil congregation which murmur against me? And they showed that they were not worthy to be free men. Every trial only caused more groaning. 
Until God angrily said, Your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness, and all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number, from twenty years old and upward, which have murmured against me. And he did exactly that. Tells us there in Hebrews 3, 17, And when whom? And with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them who had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? They perished because of unbelief. With all the evidences of the goodness of God towards them, they never learned to trust him. They never learned to trust the Lord. Paul tells us there in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 6, he says, Now these things were examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And the verse 10 says, Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. We don't often look at God on God as the destroyer. But he destroyed these people. They are examples to us. Not role models to be followed. They are examples to learn by, to take note of, not to do the same. To murmur and grumble as they murmured brought death upon them. A slow death. They did not enter Canaan. They never saw that promised land. They never did taste of its fruit and of its benefits. They wandered in the wilderness murmuring until they eventually every one of them died. Paul tells us in Philippians 2 and 14, Do everything without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless. But secondly... What is the the remedy for difficulties? What was the remedy for this difficulty? You might say it was no joke, stuck in the wilderness with water that you couldn't drink. But you know, the remedy was prayer. Moses cried unto the Lord. Moses didn't know the answer either, but he knew where to find it. He cried unto the Lord. Oh, brothers and sisters, is this what you do? Do you seek the Lord's answer? Or do you complain and worry as if everything is lost? Oh yes, we are guilty of this too. Is it not true? Now be honest. Something happens, what's the first thing you do? You get on the phone to to your best friend or to your family. This is what happened. Do you ever think of getting on our knees and asking God? Seeking the Lord? Sometimes we marvel saying, how could the Israelites have doubted God after seeing the wonders that he did in Egypt? After seeing the Red Sea being divided before them and then passing through and then coming down upon the Egyptians, how could they have doubted God? But friends, we have the whole Bible here with us. They had practically no Bible. We have the whole Bible with all these stories, with all these examples and the demonstrations of the power of God, and yet we do the very same thing. We say, oh, what am I going to do? Everything is lost. What does God's word say in Philippians 4, 6? Be careful or be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. How do we do that? Through prayer. 
We talk to God. What should have they done with this news of this bitter water? Whenever they found this bitter water, they should have prayed. They should have sought the Lord or humbly asked Moses as their representative and as their mediator to seek God for them. What patience God has with his people at times. But glory to God, the remedy was nearby. And third, in the third place, the remedy was nearby. In fact, it was already there. It had been there all along and for a very long time. It says there in the verse 25 of chapter 15, And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. What a remedy for the problem. They put the tree in the water and it became sweet. The tree was growing there for years before they even got to the place. But God used this tree to sweeten the waters. Is this not like Jacob's family? Whenever they went down to Egypt to buy the food because they were practically starving. They were unaware that Joseph was already there. If you look there back in Genesis 45 and verses 5 to 7, this is Joseph talking to his brothers after his father had died and they were scared thinking that he was going to revenge, he'd take revenge against them. But he says, Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years have the famine being in the land, and yet there are five years, five more years, in the which there shall neither be airing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you in a prosperity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. He believed it was all of God, that he was sent to Egypt just at that time. He was there. To preserve life. God sent me before you, he said. Not only was he there, but God gave him the means to provide for this great need that had come upon them. If you look in verse 8, it says, So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God, and he hath made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord over all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. He was now the ruler over all of Egypt. He had the means for their problem. God had already provided for them. God already provided the need, that need, for that need before it happened. Everything was in place. Is not this what the Bible teaches us about our spiritual lives as well? 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says that God will with the temptation also make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. God will give us the grace to bear the temptation. God provides for us at all times and for our good. As the psalmist said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not want. The Lord will provide for me. But in fourth place, there's another application that we can take from this. The water was bitter. Very bitter. They could not drink it. And you know, God showed them a tree. And life can be very bitter. We can have very bitter trials at times. 
But you know, death can be even more bitter if you haven't got the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can save us. My advice to you, if you're not saved, is find the tree. The tree where the blessed Son of God was nailed upon. And look upon him with the eyes of faith. And see him hanging there in your place. The blessed Lamb of God without blemish and without spot. Hung between two criminals. Naked, bleeding. His back was plowed with the whip of the Romans. His face was, was bruised and broken. The thorns were beaten into his head with a cane. His hands and his feet pierced through with that, those awful nails. And there he was. Do you see what God has done to save sinners? How terrible is sin when nothing less than the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, the blessed Son of God, can only cleanse you from it. Oh, you who think that by your own merit you will go to heaven, Look what Christ did. What can you do to cleanse yourself from your sin? The price is death. The wages of sin is death. How are you going to pay? Friend, if you reject Christ, if you reject this payment, you'll be paying for eternity and you'll never end up paying for it. The law demanded blood, innocent blood, blood without contamination. Only Christ could pay this price. Nothing less would do. Only Christ can take away the bitter sting and fill us with his sweetness. Oh, glory to God for the believer. Death has nothing to threaten us. It only opens the door to an eternity of bliss in paradise. For those who are ready to go, really, it's glorious. Remember Stephen? who in the midst of his terrible cries of rage, the Jews gnashed on him with their teeth, and he just saw this vision of glory. And he was so taken up with it, he spoke to them as if they were his best friends, telling them of what he was seeing. And he saw the Lord Jesus Christ on the right hand of God, standing on the right hand of God. He wasn't just there on the right hand of God, but he was standing. Elsewhere it says that he was seated in the right hand of God to show that the work is finished. None of the priests could sit down in the temple. There was no seats. Their work was continuous. But Christ came and he finished that work and he has sat down at the right hand of God. But now he was standing. And why was he standing? Standing to welcome his faithful witness Stephen back home. What a glorious thought that Christ stands to receive his beloved followers into heaven. But another thing about this remedy for their problem was it was near. They didn't have to go off wandering into the desert to look for some tree. It was right there. It was not in a distant place. And what does Romans 10, 8 says? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. Do you need a savior? We all need a savior. Because we're all sinners. We'll come short of the glory of God. But Christ has already died. He is near you right now. He can hear the cry even of your heart. Do not give up. Find him now and cry for mercy. Do you need a mediator? Christ is on the right hand of God interceding for us. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. 
Glory to God, although we are despised here in this world, we have one in heaven who is on our side, who is fighting for our cause and ready to help us. Do you have better problems? The solution has already been realized years ago. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly equipped unto all good works. Glory to God, the scriptures sweeten the bitter waters. The remedy for Israel was a tree. The remedy for us is the work of Christ on the tree. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. As God provided the tree to sweeten these waters for Israel, so he provided the tree, the cross, for the sin of mankind. God provided a substitute for Isaac, the son of Abraham. But the time came when God gave his only begotten son. And there was no substitute for him. He is our substitute. He took our place. And he paid that price in his own body on the tree. Is there trouble in your life? Romans 5, 3 and 5 says, Tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience, and hope maketh not ashamed. What does this mean? The Lord has some purpose. The Lord has some purpose in that you can't see at this time. Maybe you will never see the purpose in it. But let me tell you, I can assure you that there is a purpose. There's a purpose for that trial that you're going through. Do you suffer weakness, insults, and hardships? So did Paul. But he prayed. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it, the thorn in the flesh, might depart from me. But what did God say? My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. So Paul said, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong because it's God working through him. Do you suffer affronts for Christ? The disciples did as well. Peter and John left the presence of the council rejoicing. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Have you trials? Count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Do we suffer for righteousness sake? Christ tells us, blessed are those, or blessed are they that are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do we think that the discipline is better? Well, even the word of God says it probably is. It says, now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yielded a peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. We always look at the present. We always look at the present. That's what we see. But God is working presently in us to make us more like unto his Son in the future. God is working 
for the future. When a builder starts to renovate a house, probably the first thing he does is starts ragging the place, demolishing the place, demolishing things that he doesn't want. And maybe you think, what's this fellow doing? I paid him here to fix the place and he's only ragging it. But you have to wait to see the finished product. And maybe when you get to the finished product, you'll think he didn't know what he was doing. But that's beside the point. Usually that's what they have to do. And they work and they fix the place up and you see, that's a good job. But you know, the Lord always does everything well. And like the husband man who prunes the vine, he has to cut off the dead bits. And even the branches that don't produce fruit, he has to cut them off. And there's bits that do produce fruit and he has to cut them as well to make them produce more fruit. It may hurt. It may hurt a lot. But he knows what he is doing. Have patience and yield unto him. Do not resist him. And soon you will realize that it was worth it. It will be worth it all in the end. Whatever the better water may be, Christ and his teaching can sweeten it. Love conquers hate. Joy overcomes sorrow. And truth will, will, will reveal and triumph over error and falsehood. Faith overcomes the world. God allows trials to discipline us. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. We must humble ourselves under his hand like King David did. There in 2 Samuel chapter 16, it tells us there how a man, a certain fellow, Shimei, uh, cursed David. When he came out and shouted against him, even threw stones against him, he accused him of being of the devil. Throwing stones at him and his men. And one of, of David's men was absolutely horrified and angry. And he, and he asked David, let me go and cut the head of him. And David says, let him curse. Let him curse because the Lord hath spoken it. What humility. Even though he was the king, he did not want to revenge. He didn't want to revenge. He didn't want to, to, to honor his name. What humility. How we should learn a lesson from this. We are so quick to, to uh, defend our name and our honor. Friends, let your name be trampled into the dust. Because it probably will be. Especially by the world. But be prepared to die for the honor the name of Christ. Lastly and sadly we see that Israel had no faith. They failed the test. Not just because they forgot the Red Sea in three days. Look what they called the place. Mara. To remember what? Not the miraculous work of God. Only bitterness. Why did they not call this the name Blessed Tree or Sweet Tree? Or Murmurers Silenced? No, not at all. They just wanted to remember the problem. Oh, brethren, let us remember the tree that God provided for them and the tree that he provided for us. That thought will sweeten any bitter water that we may find in this life if we just think of what Christ did to save us from 
eternal damnation. Praise God for his great mercy and love shown to us in Calvary. That is something that we never should forget. And I hope you never forget it. But it will be in your mind day in and day out. God sent his son to save me. That should humble us. That should rejoice us. What can take away that joy knowing that we have eternal life? That someday we will see him face to face. Do you love him? Do you know him? If you don't, come to Christ now. Cry unto him. Praise God. He's well able to see you.